0: that's fine, my job this morning is to be obedient to God and try to tell you what He told me to tell you. So that's what we're going to try to do. Romans chapter 6, we're going to focus our attention today on verse number 23, and I'd like to think that many of you don't even need to look at your Bible to know what that verse says. Perhaps you have that memorized, and if you're a soul winner, I'm sure you've used this verse hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of times in trying to explain the gospel to somebody. Rightfully so. Wonderful verse with which to do that today i'd like to preach using this title unto eternal life and i'm choosing that on purpose let me set the groundwork for that we're going to be in romans 6 23 but just one chapter back look at the end of chapter five so that you understand where i get this title chapter five verse twenty one it says that as sin hath reigned unto death even so might grace Reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. What Paul has done in chapter 5, starting in verse number 12, he he begins this incredibly rich comparison and, and a contrast. He's comparing and contrasting Adam and Jesus. He's contrasting sin and grace, lie and truth, death and life. It's a wonderful piece of learning here. And from chapter 5, verse 12, all the way to the end of chapter 6, Paul is making that point. Chapter 6, let's read together starting in verse number 21. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? Well, aren't you ashamed of what you did when you were unsaved? Right? I don't even like thinking about it. And I certainly don't recommend dwelling on it. Every now and again, something in life will remind you of what you used to be. But praise God, take take courage and that's what used to be old things are passed away all things are become new praise God Jesus paid it all those sins are gone right you ask me why I'm happy I'll just tell you why praise God my sins are gone what fruit had you then in those things where you're now ashamed for the end the end of those things is death but now being made free from sin and become servants to God. Ye have your fruit unto holiness, and the end, everlasting life. So, when we're talking throughout the, these verses, chapter 5, chapter 6, we're talking about things that led us unto eternal life. We're talking about the end goal, right? Do you see that at the end of verse 22? The end. Everlasting life. We get saved. We become servants to God because we're freed from the bondage of sin. We no longer have to serve sin. We can now serve God. And we start bearing fruit. That fruit is unto holiness. Why? We're doing this under the power and influence and leadership of the Holy Spirit. So the things that start happening in our life are sacred and special to God. It's something that He did through us. So the fruit is unto holiness. It. The consequences, the outworking of our lives is in a special category. The end, he says, everlasting life. Now, I don't want you to get confused at the beginning here. Paul is not teaching, and nor am I saying today, that we have to change our lives, what most people call repent of their sins, right? Stop doing bad, start doing good, and if you bear enough holy fruit, then eventually you will earn everlasting life that is not what Paul is teaching I just want to be clear on that okay and that's why we're having this sermon this I believe is going to be fairly simple and for a lot of you you're already familiar with much of what I'm going to say if you're here today and you've never been saved I hope this clarifies some things for you so that you can come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ But even if you've already been saved and born again, and you have eternal life, maybe we can add a couple of pieces to the puzzle to better help you understand why God saved you, and what does it mean to have eternal life. That's our goal. So the end, the end goal, we want to build up that everlasting life. Verse 23, Paul is going to make a bookend statement, two bookends, all right? So you've got several thoughts. Several thoughts, and then two ends to it. For the wages of sin is death. If you're lost, if you've never been born again, friend, that's the system under which your life operates. Sin reigns in you, and the result of that is death. But then there's a different system. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Freely, you can have this eternal life because of what Jesus has done for you. Before we proceed into, I want to dig into verse 23, walk you through various things that are mentioned there, but we want to pause for a moment. Let's pray about this and ask God to help us. Father, thank you this morning for all that we've already been able to see and witness and hear, and Lord, to see the young folks get the pins and to see these other gentlemen graduate from Bible school. Lord, thank you that we get to see this progress with these mile markers in their lives. And Lord, as we study today, that end goal, eternal life, Lord, help us to properly wrap our hearts and minds around that today. Please fill me with your spirit and help me to say only that which is right and helpful and true. Father, I pray you might touch hearts, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. How many of you perhaps have opened, uh, been given a gift, somebody giving you a computer or a, a phone? Um, I don't know if you maybe get into a, a new car, maybe a new car to you, and you don't know what all the buttons do. Anybody, you know how that feels? All right. I think all of us do, right? I still, to this day, I don't know what all the, my, the buttons on my phone does. Have you ever hit a button and then you couldn't get out of what you just opened? Yeah. The only solution, well, there's two solutions. You can throw it down, right? Throw it away and break. The other solution is to just turn it off and start over again, right? And then try not to hit that button again. I've been there a few times, and, and even in my car, I love the vehicle God's blessed me with, but I asked my son-in-law the other day, I said, man, this, this little thing keeps flashing. What do I do? He said, he said, Dad, just hit this button. I didn't even know. I've been driving that car for a year. I didn't know that button existed. It's right down there underneath by the steering wheel. Didn't know. There are all kinds of things, right? And, and I mean, when somebody gives you a gift, that's wonderful. You can rejoice and, and thank God. Look at this wonderful gift. That doesn't mean you know all the blessings that come with that gift. And today we're talking about the gift of God is eternal life. And I don't want to overcomplicate something that is simple. If it's simple, let's, let's leave it simple. But at the same time, I want to appreciate fully what it means to have the gift of eternal life. What exactly do we have? So just as a little teaser, a little preview, Eternal life does not mean live forever in heaven. That's the common way of thinking about it. That is not what it means. So today we want to build on that. In order to do that, I want to walk you through Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. The Bible says here, for the wages of sin is death. So what we're going to do is look at each of these words, wages, sin, death, and we'll talk about the gift and eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. First of all, let's talk about sin. Now, you say, Brother Mike, I don't need any explanation on that. I am an expert. (laughs) I've been working on that my whole life. (laughs) I know exactly what that is. You know, there's a lot of things we do naturally that we don't fully understand. Explain to me how your eye sees things. You know, there are very few. I can't, I've heard it explained, and it's a breathtaking explanation how God has fearfully and wonderfully made our eye or our ears how do you hear? You know you can hear. You've been hearing your whole life. But how does it work? What all is involved? How many parts? What did it take for that to There's a lot that goes into that. So, so there are some things that we naturally do that we, we don't ever take the time to stop and think, now what exactly is that? How does it work? And the same is true for sin. We do it naturally. We sin like we breathe. Now, you you think, oh, now, Brother Mike, you're being a little dramatic. You're overstating that. Well, let me give you a verse from, from the book of Job. The Bible says there in chapter 15 and verse 16, how much more abominable and filthy is man which drinketh iniquity like water? We can just chug it down. We can just chug it down. That's a proper description of us with sin. I like how David described it. Now, listen David was not a horrible man. David was a man after God's own heart. We know that he had some issues, right? We all know that. Every dog has some fleas. You know what David said in Psalm chapter 40? Mine iniquities are more than the hairs of mine head. As best we know, David was not bald. Now, I know, I know for some of you, you're like, praise the Lord, I'm sinless, right? I'm, I'm getting better with time. I'm growing my little halo back here. In fact, you, understand, you understand the comparison. David is trying to say, I have no clue how many sins I really have. We, we, we need to fully appreciate when we say the wages of sin, sometimes we think sin is what the other guy does. Yes, I do some bad things, but okay, those are little sins. But real sin, you know, that happens in Parliament. (laughs) (laughs) That happens, you know, 2 2 a.m. in the dark corners of a dark alley. That's sin. Friends, sin, let me give you what the Bible says. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. The Bible says, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Paul talks there about some gray areas and if your conscience is not good with that particular thing and you do it anyway, that is sin. The Bible says in 1 John 5 verse 17, all unrighteousness is sin. All of it. All unrighteousness is sin. My pastor used to say it like this, if it's if it's right, do it. If it's wrong, quit it. And if you can't quit it, kick yourself. Don't kick me, I didn't write it. <laughs> it's, it's that simple. But boy, it's hard to apply. The Bible says in Proverbs 24, verse 9, the thought of foolishness is sin. Not the doing of it, necessarily, although that's also sin. The thought of foolishness is is sin? Do you see how this plays into what Jesus would later say a thousand years later? Jesus shows up and said, "You've heard by them of old time that you shouldn't be uh, that you shouldn't murder, but I say unto you, if you're angry in your heart without a cause, right? If you hate your brother without a cause, you've heard by them of old time, don't commit adultery, but I say unto you, if you've lusted in your heart, you're already right." And and Jesus says, "Listen, the problem's right down in here." The Bible says in First John chapter three verse four, sin. Is the transgression of the law? What is sin? It's breaking God's law. It's breaking God law. Breaking God's law. You know why we break the law? Listen to this. I want you to get this right. We break the law because we're bad. He said, "Man, this is so simple, brother." I'm like, "I know that already." No, no. But listen carefully to what I'm saying. Breaking the law does not make us bad. We break the law because we're already bad. You see. People steal things because they are a thief. You said, no, no, first you have to steal, then you become a thief. The reason you went and stole that is because you were a thief in your heart. The reason you commit adultery is because first you were an adulterer in your heart. The reason people murder is because they hated and they were a murderer in their heart. We do bad things because we're bad. We need to realize just how dark and depraved and wicked and sinful we are that's going to help us appreciate just how amazing it is that Jesus would show up and offer us the free gift of eternal life sin is a crime against God so here's a misconception people say you know well a sin is a sin all sins are the same one sins as bad as another well the Bible does say that if you If you keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, you're guilty of all. So let's be clear on this. It doesn't matter which law you've broken. If you've broken a law, you are a lawbreaker. If you have sinned in any capacity, you are a sinner. So that's true, but not all sins are the same. There are some that are worse than others. Jesus himself said, Therefore he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin." Jesus acknowledged there are some sins greater than others. In the book of Psalms, chapter 19, uh, David is talking about presumptuous sins. And he said, I don't want to be guilty of the great transgression. That is, knowing it's wrong and then doing it anyway. Sometimes we do not premeditate our sin. We just do it because it comes naturally to us. But at other times, we do premeditate. We know it's wrong and we do it anyway. And that's worse. If you were to go to court today and the judge is and and you know they bring you in and the advocates are there and they say okay what's what's this man accused of and they said he's accused of having a parking ticket all right you may tremble but not that much now if they said you're accused of murder wouldn't that be worse not all crimes are the same not all crimes are the same they don't get dealt with the same so let's be clear about that not all sin is the same some sins are worse but regardless of what sin you're guilty of, it's enough to send you to hell. It's enough to separate you from God no matter what sin it is. Uh, furthermore, let me say this about sin. Sin is not free. Do you see this in the verse, the wages of sin? Sin is not free. Now, all the way back to the garden, what did God tell Adam? And then what was also told to Eve later on, we assume by Adam, the day you eat thereof, you'll surely die, right? Don't eat from the knowledge of the... Uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the day you eat thereof you'll surely die. What, the de- what did the devil come in and say? You shall not surely die. He tried to make them think that there's no consequence for sin, that sin is free. Just enjoy it. So the Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season. There's an old preacher now in heaven, his name is R.G. Lee. There's one particular sermon he was very famous for, he preached it over 3,000 times. It was called Payday Someday. You can still go online and listen to it now. Fantastic sermon. Payday Someday. And he talks about a man that he, let's say, once knew in his ministry. Every time Brother Lee would preach, this man would come around and start to heckle him and trouble him and get on the radio and say bad things and slander him. And one day, that enemy of Brother Lee ended up in the hospital. And he, while he was on the radio, he... Jokingly called himself the captain of the kangaroo court. I don't know if you know what a kangaroo court is, but that's where you set up like a fake court session to condemn somebody as guilty. He called himself the captain of the kangaroo court, and he was in the hospital dying. And he told the nurse, I want you to get on the phone, talk to that preacher, and tell him to come see me. And, and the nurse gave the name of the man. Brother Lee never knew his real name. So that man said, no, 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 don't tell him my name. Tell him the captain of the kangaroo court. And readily went, oh, I I know who that is. And he said, well, this man wants to see you before he dies. And he went into that room, and that man was just emaciated and about to pass on, and he had some sort of black sludge coming out of his mouth. I mean, he was dying a nasty and horrible death. And that man, in a deep, crudity voice, he said, preacher, be sure to tell them that Satan pays with counterfeit money. Those were his last words. Be sure to tell them that Satan pays with counterfeit money. Why? Because the devil make you think you can sin and get away with it. He'll make you think that the, that the outcome of sin is pleasure. Oh, that's the immediate outcome. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. And this leads me to emphasize that just one step further. Sin provides a wage. You understand what a wage is. A wage is something you get for something you do. If you work, you get money. If you sin, you get death. Right. So the way we often explain it is to say this, you have to pay for your sin. Which is true, but that's not how it's presented. The devil comes and says, here's some sin. Eat this fruit. You're going to love this. You're going to be as gods knowing good and evil. This is what's missing from your life. If you would just take this fruit, whatever your fruit is, whatever your sin is, whatever your temptation is this morning, if I could just have that, oh, I would be happy and satisfied and fulfilled. The devil tells you, don't worry, it won't cost you, won't die, it's just going to make you better. What he doesn't tell you is if you sin, you're going to get a wage. You get, pa- you get paid. You get paid. That's a wage, is you getting paid. But imagine this, the payment you get is the pay slip where you have to, they bring you the bill. That's what you get paid. So after all the fun is done, then he comes and says, okay, now I know you were expecting everything to be over and you go home for free and everything's fine, but wait a minute. Here's what you get for what you did and you get the bill." And the bill does not say, now go to church, read your Bible, pray, repent of your sins, stop doing bad, start doing good, turn over a new leaf, and you'll be fine. That's not the wages of sin. The wages of sin is death. You must pay that bill. So it's a strange thing. You are getting paid, but at the same time, you have to pay because they're handing you the bill. The wages of sin is death. How many times have you met a salesman that said, listen, sign up for free? Sign up for free, right? First three months free. Boy, if you were to get the magnifying glass out, read the fine print, it says after this, your credit card will be charged every month for the rest of your life, (laughs) right? And it's extremely difficult to get out of those contracts. If you've ever signed one thinking this is a great deal and I'll just cancel any time, you get on the phone and try to cancel with them. It's not as easy to cancel those bad deals that you make. Listen, you can get on the phone with sin and sin will make you think you can get away with it and you think, man, I'll sign up and I'll get it for free. Oh, it might be free for the first three months. It might be free for a while, but payday someday. And the devil make you think, here's the fun. No, no, that's counterfeit money. That's not fun. That's a bill he's handing you. You got to pay for it. The wages of sin is death. But now we need to talk about that for a moment. We've talked about sin. We've talked about the wage, the wages of sin is death. What is death? You say, now preacher, come on, this is way too simple this morning. I know what death is. That's when you stop breathing. That's physical death. Remember, you are a triune being, you. You have a body, a soul, and a spirit. There's more to you than just breathing. So when we say death, let's think beyond just physical death. Take your Bible, come to Ephesians chapter 2, please. Ephesians 2, let's, let's think about this while you turn to Ephesians 2, there's Adam in the garden and God says, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. In the day that thou eatest, thou shalt surely die. All right, question, help me out, church. The day that Adam ate the fruit, did he die? Let me ask it again. The, the day that he ate the fruit, did he die? How many of you say yes? How many of you say no? You're both right. <laughs> How's that? <laughs> You're both right. Yes and no, because there's Adam's more than one part. Part of Adam did die that day. Part of him did die. His spirit died. And that is why we must be born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit, capital S, is Spirit. The human spirit needs to be born again because the human spirit is dead in sins. When you choose to rebel against God, your spirit dies. So the day that Adam ate the fruit, he died. But Adam hides behind the tree. God calls him out. Because you're always going to have to answer for your sin. Hey, man, what happened? Why are you hiding? Uh, you gave me that wife. It's your fault. Okay, well, I gave her, but you did it, buddy. You did it. This is on you. So grab yourself a shovel and a hoe, and you're going to get out there and work that ground. And what did he tell him? He said, in the sweat of thy face, thou shalt eat bread till thou return unto the ground. For out of it was thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. He said, Adam, the day you ate that fruit, you died. Genesis 2. Genesis 3, further punishment. Different kind of death. You're physically going to die as well. Now, he died at the age of 930. But death eventually got him. The wages of sin is death. Let's talk about this for a moment. Ephesians 2, verse 1, it says, And you hath he quickened. The word quickened means made alive. We would say born again, regenerated, okay? Okay? You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, many times when people read these kind of passages, they say, Well, you see, if you're dead in sins, a dead person can't do anything. A dead person is not conscious of anything, they cannot make any choices, they they are unable of anything. The mistake that is made here is spiritual death and physical death are not the same thing. We're not comparing apples with apples. What is death? The absence of life. So when a person chooses to sin and rebel against God, and we all do that at a different age, right? Some people could be five, some eight, some ten. Whenever that first happens, you knew God said this, and you did it the other way. That moment, something in you died. You were dead in trespasses and sins. And something was gone. Look at Ephesians 4 verse 17. Let me let me expand on what I've said here. Death is the absence of life. So if we're talking about your physical body, right? God breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of what? Life. And man became a living soul. So the breath of life was in there. When you stop breathing, you die. James chapter 2, the body without the spirit is dead. But what about the spirit? What do we mean when we say that man's spirit is dead? Is the man's spirit capable of anything? Can anything still happen with it? Well, look at Ephesians 4 verse 17. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. He's talking about lost people. Watch this careful in verse 18. Having the understanding darkened what's wrong here they don't understand something properly they have understanding but it's darkened having the understanding darkened being alienated from the help me with the next three words life of who life of god they're alienated from the life of god that's what a lost person is missing their spirit is not joined to the Lord. They have been alienated from the life of God. They are dead unto God because they are in their sins. Now what does it mean to be dead unto God? What does it mean to be alienated from the life of God? It means your understanding of Him is darkened. When He speaks, it it's hard to wrap your head around it. Keep reading in verse 18. They're alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Who, being past feeling, have given themselves over unto lasciviousness, that's just like lust, to work all uncleanness with greediness. Here's what happens. A man begins to sin, and when he starts sinning, something inside of him says, stop doing that. Now that's your conscience. That's your conscience. God has built you with a moral code. He's programmed you with right and wrong, built into you. It's the work of the law written in your heart. As soon as you make a decision or take any action, your conscience springs into action, and it runs over to this moral code and begins to read it. It's like holding a candle up to what God has written in your heart. And your conscience will say, yep, this was a good decision, or nope, this was a bad decision. The more you sin... And say, I don't care what my conscience says, the harder your heart becomes. The Bible even says in the Old Testament that a person's spirit can become hardened. So just like the heart can get hard, the spirit can get hard. Now watch this. If the spirit is dead, it's dead. It can't get any deader. It's dead if you are thinking of Spiritual death in the same way as physical death. You're dead. You're just dead. That's it. It, You can't get more dead. Once you die, that's it. You're done. But spiritual death is when a darkness comes in, an ignorance. You don't understand what it means to walk with God and to know God. And your heart becomes harder and harder and harder. And every time God shows you a little more, you reject a little more. And the heart and the spirit gets harder and harder until one day you are past feelings. Let me give you the, the biblical phrase for this. Do you, how many of you remember when Jesus showed up to the man who would become Paul? He showed up to Saul on the road to Damascus, and he said, It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. You guys remember that? That means Paul was making some bad decisions. Now, it starts off with your conscience pricks you. Eventually, the Holy Spirit takes over the pricking. Paul could feel it. Paul could feel it. And and Jesus said, it's hard to kick against it, isn't it? Because I keep giving you more and more evidence. I keep giving you more and more testimonies from different Christians willing to die for their faith. It's getting tough to say no to all this evidence that I'm giving you. But if a man continually rejects it, his heart can become so hard that God just stands back and says, I'm sorry, I'm going to let you do whatever you want, which is the worst punishment God can give a man that is breathing It's worse than any disease, it's worse than all debt, it's worse than a divorce, it's worse than any of that for God to stand back and say, buddy, you're on your own. If you want me, I'm over here, I've already shown you how to get me. I'm over there. Hands off. And the Bible says in Romans 1, he can give a person up. So what is this? We're talking about death. Death is you have no relationship with God. You don't understand him. You don't walk with Him. You're not in agreement with Him. You're completely in darkness when it comes to the things of God. And at first, you can feel that it's wrong, but eventually, if you push it too far, you get past feeling. Are you in Ephesians? Come back to chapter 2. Look at verse 2. Here you are dead in trespasses and sins. It says, and you hath he quickened. We were dead in trespasses and sins. Verse 2, Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. We were just doing what a sinner is built to do. We were inclined towards sin. So this is why we were doing bad things, because we're bad. We're inclined that way. We are dead, so here's God over here, but we we cannot find our way back to Him. We cannot understand Him through our own uh, wisdom, because our wisdom has been darkened by sin. We need the Holy Spirit to come in and say, listen, you would never figure this out on your own. Your conscience is not enough to get you all the way back to God. The Holy Spirit has to come in and begin to reprove you of sin and righteousness and judgment and say, the way you're going about life, you are on a path that's going to end you up in all sorts of death. You are right now walking in death. You are spiritually dead. You're going to end up physically dead, and then there's another death after that. I'll show you now. In the book of Hebrews chapter 9, you know this verse. It's appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment Take your Bible, look at Revelation chapter 20. Sin will cost you more than you ever thought. The The first death that you experience is a spiritual death. The moment you sin, something inside dies, and now you don't have that connection with God. And because of this, just like Adam spiritually died, and then years later, he physically died. One day, you'll go to the ground. It says, and then after that, right, you go to this judgment. So, after death, judgment. Revelation 20, verse number 14. Death and hell. Death. There's your first death. That's you going to the grave. Death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the, what? Second death. You see, we have physical life, and then there's eternal life. There's physical death, and then there is an eternal death. This eternal death, you are forever suffering and separated from God. So I'm going to expand on this in just a second. I don't have too many, too many more points for you here. I'm going to expand on this in, in a second. But do you understand, real life is not physically existing. That is a form of life but that's not the only kind of life there is and a lot of people think that's all there is. there's life is breathing there's more to it the, the Bible tells us that God is our life so if you are not connected to him you don't have life what do you have death does, does that make sense if you're not connected to God if you're not walking with him properly if you're not saved and in his body you don't have life you have death So if you are cast into a lake of fire, forever separated from God, that is eternal death. Suffering for your sins involves much more than just fire and burning. It involves knowing I will never ever again have a chance of coming to God. I am without hope. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? You, you, you're lost. You're forever lost. That's the wages of sin. Now, in Romans 6 and verse 23, we'll come to the good news of this, but the gift of God. The gift of God. All right, what's that? What is the gift of God? The gift. Well, a gift is something that is given to you by grace. Yeah. That's what a gift is. In, in the Afrikaans here, die luun van die sondes is die doet, maar die van God is die ewige die ons, Jesus Christus The chanarachava, chanarachava, that's the grace gift, right? It it, it mixes it nicely. The gift of God, it is grace that does this. Now, what is grace? God giving you something you don't deserve. Okay. Look at chapter 5, Romans 5, look at verse 16. Look at the end of verse 16. But the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. Look at the end of verse 17. Receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness. Verse 18, look at the end of it. Even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. So one man said it like this, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. We could never do enough to earn eternal life. We could never do enough to save ourselves from the penalty of our sins. So God came in and He paid the price for us. You can't earn it, you can't deserve it, so I'll do my best to follow my conscience. It will never be enough because God's nature demands a full payment be made and the wages of sin is death. This this is where I think, and again, I think you know this verse. Ephesians 2, where it says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. boast. I don't want to get you lost in this, so I want to take my time and explain this properly. Ephesians chapter 2, for by grace are you saved. Right, now hang on for this. You ready? Salvation and eternal life are not the same thing. Salvation and eternal life, not the same thing. They go together. Okay. When you get one, you get the other, but they're not the same thing. Going back to, you know, all the buttons on your phone, you don't know what they do. I got my phone, I can make calls. All right. Now you know you got that part of it, but there's a lot of other things that come with. So when God gives you this gift, in Ephesians 2, he says, By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Salvation is a gift. The means by which it's given is grace. You didn't earn it, you didn't deserve it, he just gives it to you because he loves you. The mechanism by which you receive it is faith. You have to receive it, God's not going to force it on you. But by grace are you saved through faith. That whole process of saving you is not of works, lest you should boast. So you can't say, well done me. Look, I'm in heaven. Look at what I did. Nobody can get to heaven and say, I got here because of what I did. We get to heaven and we point to Jesus sitting on the throne and we say, I'm here because of what he did on the cross. He died for my sins. He was buried. He rose again. And that's the only thing that can save me from the mess that I made of my life. That's where salvation comes in. But the reason we get saved the reason God saves us, perhaps I can say, is so that he can give us eternal life. All right, so let me walk you through that part. Because this is, re- I told you this sermon, the name of it is Unto Eternal Life. So I've been building and building, I'm trying to get to this point. And this is where we'll conclude. Romans six twenty-three: the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. All right, so what does this mean? When God saved you, how did he do it? He saved you from sin. That This is the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and the presence of sin. He saved me from the penalty of sin. That's already done. He's already suffered the first and second death. His soul was made an offering for sin. That's done. Every day he continually saves me from the power of sin. He helps me to overcome it. And then one day when the trumpet sounds, I'll be saved from the presence of sin. So I'm saved from sin. How did he do it? Redemption. Redemption simply means he paid for it. He paid for it. What was the payment? A ransom. That's what, when somebody takes a hostage, they ask for a ransom. So I had sinned and somebody had to pay the ransom to free me. Jesus, the Bible says, he gave himself a ransom for all. This is how we get justified. I hope you're learning through this. This is how we get justified, because he made the payment, now his blood, that was a sufficient sacrifice to wipe wipe away, wash away, purge away all my sins. So now God, watch this, when he looks at my record, when he looks at my record, all my sins are gone. They've been washed in the blood, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. Do do you realize what, what this means? When you look at my record and compare it to the record of Jesus Christ, it looks the same. How many sins does he have? None. How many sins do I have? None. He gave me his righteousness. So now I have the righteousness of God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now that my sins are gone. Watch this now. He saves me from sin. How? Because He paid, He gave the ransom, washed my sins away. Now my record is clean. And now that my record is clean, God can step back in and come close to me. We were enemies and separated from God because of our sin, yes? But Jesus took that out of the way. He died for those. And when you receive Him as your Savior and those sins are washed away in His blood, now you can get this biblical word, reconciled. That means taking two fighting parties and making them one again. How does he do it? Now that your sins are gone, God can properly fellowship with you. He can actually live with you, dwell in you. So the Bible says, he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. I have a spiritual connection with him. Now that I have been joined to the Lord, what did Jesus say about himself? I am the way, the truth, and the? I'm joined to life. What kind of life does he have? Temporary or eternal? Eternal life. So I got saved because he paid the ransom. He washed my sins away so that I can be brought together with God, not only to walk with him arm in arm, but for him to live in me and me to live in him. And I am connected to eternal life. But eternal life is not a thing. Eternal life is not a state of being eternal life is a person that's why when we read in the Bible about eternal life you're reading about a personal relationship with God the reason he saved you is so that he could have that intimate personal relationship that was the purpose and that's why he says it's unto this the end goal is for you Not to be alienated from the life of God, but to know Him personally. That's the gift. The gift of God is eternal life. He says here, I'm going to offer my son so that you and I can have a perfect relationship. And I am willing to work on it with you day after day until one day you see me in glory. And listen to this, the relationship that you started the moment you got saved, it will never end. It is eternal. It is eternal. I'd like to show you a, ver- a verse or two. Are-, are we good with this? Uh, please, can I show you Second Timothy chapter one? I'm not going to keep you long. I know it's warm in here. I just want to make a couple points, and then we'll let you go to the house. Second Timothy chapter one. Years ago, there was a man who was about to go into the Civil War. This is back in the 1860s in America. He had a family, and he was a farmer, and He didn't have any other sons. And if he were to go to war and die, his family would be destitute pretty much. His wife and kids wouldn't have made it. So another man heard about this guy getting drafted. He said, listen, tell you what, I'll go in your place. I'll go fight the battle for you. And that man was allowed to stay home. Years later, that man went to visit the grave of this soldier that took his place. Because that man went to the battle and died in, in war. And that man was standing at the grave And another visitor walked by and said, Sir, do you know this person? He said, I didn't know him well. I just know his name. He says, But I come here often. And he told him the story. He said, This man took my place. It should have been me. He saved me from the death of that war. Right? That's salvation. and, And that man who's standing at the grave, honoring the person who took his place, can be forever thankful for that salvation. But do you understand, that is salvation. Did that man who stayed alive, did he ever get to know that man personally that went to die for him in the war? No, there was no personal relationship. Because that man who died in the war cannot give eternal life. He didn't rise up from the grave our Savior he dies on the cross and pays for the sins but then on the third day He rises again because there's more to him dying than just getting you out of hell the reason he saves you is so that you can know him and the more you know him the more you can become like him and that is why he created you do you see Jesus is giving us back what Adam lost in the garden That perfect relationship, walking with God in the cool of the day, knowing Him, understanding Him, knowing what He likes and what He doesn't like. What kind of God is He? We lost that in the garden, but through Jesus we get it back. So don't stand at the grave of Jesus saying, thank you for saving me from hell, as if that's all he's done. Understand, thank you for going to the grave for me. Thank you for dying, but you rose again so that we can get to know each other. Now let's get busy walking with him. Second, Where did I send you? 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10. It says, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death. You see, he took away the fear of death. Because he reconnects me. I'm born again. Now I have life. Even if I physically die, I'm not worried about it. I have an eternal body, a new body waiting for me in heaven. And I have no fear of the second death. Jesus already suffered for that. He, his soul was an offering. So he abolished death. And then look at what it says next and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Two things are brought to light through the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus died for our sins, was buried, and rose again. That's the gospel. Two things come of that, life and immortality. Immortality is what? Physically existing forever. You see, most people think that's eternal life. That's immortality, Jesus also made life possible. What did Jesus say? The thief comes but to steal, kill, and to destroy. I'm come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. What is that abundant life he came to give you? It has nothing to do with money and cars and possessions and houses and jobs and degrees. Nothing to do with that. He said, I've come to teach you about God. And I've come to make it possible that you can know him, draw nigh to him, and that cannot happen if I do not give myself as a ransom. Because only my blood can wash away your sin. Might I ask you to come over to 1 John chapter 5. We're going to finish. Just a moment here. I had more for you, but I, I think we're getting the point across. So let me just give you one or two more thoughts out of this. And we'll let you respond to it. 1 John chapter 5. We'll be in verse 20 in just a moment. But I, I want to give you a couple of thoughts on this that will build up to what we're going to read. In the Old Testament, in the book of Deuteronomy, you read there where Moses is writing about Jehovah, about God. He said to the Jews, he is thy life. What, what, what's life? God. God is your life. Okay? So my life is not just a state of being. God is my life. And if he's not my, if he's not my life, I have death, Right? You know what it says two chapters later? It's talking about the written words that Moses was writing. He says these words are your life. You know what God was doing for the Jews in the Old Testament? He said, "Here, you want to know me? Here's here's my law. And by reading this law, you'll get to know me. You'll get to know what kind of God I am." Remember what Moses said? He's broken the t- the tablets of the 10 commandments. And now God says, I can't walk amongst this stiff-necked people. Moses said, but God, if you don't go up with us, you know, carry us not a pence. Lord, who, how are we going to get to the promised land if your presence isn't with us? God said, I'll, I'll get you there. Don't, don't worry about it. Moses said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. Remember what God did? God put Moses in the cleft of the rock, and he covered him. He covered his, head, he covered his face, and then God passed by. And Moses was not, was not allowed to see all of God, right? He said, if you see my face, you'll die. The Bible says he saw his back parts. Because in the Old Testament, you couldn't see all there was about God. He wasn't fully revealed in the Old Testament. But God answered Moses' prayer, and he gave him a little foretaste of his glory. He said, you want to know about me? Stand right here, and I'll show you what you can handle. Because you can't handle it all now. You'd die if I told you everything about me. You'd just die, Moses. He said, all right, here we go. And he walks past him. And, and the Bible says in the next chapter, Exodus chapter 34, the Lord proclaimed. He starts talking about himself, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth. And he starts describing himself. He pardoneth iniquity and will by no means acquit the guilty. And he goes on talking and describing, talking about and describing himself. Now if you're in the Old Testament and you want to know about God, you meditate on the law day and night. It shows you the nature of God. But then Jesus shows up. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He was filled with grace and truth. The Bible says no man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared, him Jesus came down and he said now you wanted to know more about God God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake unto the fathers by the prophets but in these last days has spoken unto us by his son who is the express image of his person he said you wanna get to know about the father you wanna know about God if you've seen me you've seen the father he declared God to the people and he said if you wanna know what God is like You're looking at him. Jesus said this shortly before he went to the cross. And this is life eternal. That they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Listen to this. This is life eternal. What is it? Living forever in heaven? No. This is life eternal that they might know thee. The only true God. The gift of God is eternal life. What's the gift? I get to know Him. I get to actually know what He's like. I get to know how much He cares about me. I get to know what part of my, life's, my what, what parts of my life are not satisfying to Him. That's awfully satisfying. 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 20. Let's read this and we'll go home. 1 John 5 and 20 it says, And we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true and we are in Him that is true even in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God. Who? Jesus Christ. This is the true God and what? An eternal life. Eternal life's not a thing, it's a person. And that relationship that you can have with God is only available as a gift, paid for by the blood of the Lamb. If you have never received it today, you can start that eternal relationship today. So, How do I, how do I make things right with God? I'm wrong with God, I want to be right. The only way you can be made right with God is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen, let's all stand. Let's stand, let's think about this just for a moment. Thank you for your patience. At the very least, I hope it's given you a greater appreciation for the gift that God has made available to us. The prophet Jeremiah said that we can glory in this. Right? The Lord spoke through him. Let him glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me. That's not something to be taken lightly. Imagine what comfort, what stability that can offer your life today. To know what God thinks of you. Wouldn't it be nice to go home and say, "Lord, it's so good to know that things between you and me are right." Do you know that today? Are you 100% sure you have eternal life? Now, if you want to have that, you got to get saved. And you can't be saved through your works. You come to Christ and you say, Lord, I can't save myself. No matter how hard I try, I'll never know you on my, by myself. I, I can't figure you out. So I accept what you've shown me. I trust the record you've given me. I know many of you in the room, you're you're saved. You have eternal life. But you know, as we explain this to people on the streets or at our workplace or in our homes, let's be sure that we're telling them exactly what God is offering. Not just a free ticket out of hell but an eternal relationship. Father, thank you this morning. Thank you for making salvation free and simple. It's simple, but it's, it's deep and it's rich. There's so much to it. There's so many blessings in it. Father, thank you most of all for expressing yourself to us. Thank you for sending your Son, God manifest in the flesh. Lord, to to think that the relationship we've started now will only grow and grow in them forever. This is it. This is what we have. This is more than enough. Father, as we dismiss, please let these words sink deep into our hearts. Might we grow in an appreciation for this wonderful gift. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.